So hello and welcome to the first ever episode of The Brasscast. I'm your host Zoe Wright and firstly I would like to say a thank you to everyone that is tuning in and discovering this brand new Brass Band podcast. Today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined with euphonium player and conductor Morgan Griffiths and I would hope that all of you listening are familiar with who he is but in case you don't know who he is Morgan was the youngest player ever to be appointed the principal euphonium of the Black Dyke Mills Band where he established an international reputation as one of the finest euphonium players in the world. In 1992, he was invited to join the Yorkshire Building Society Band under David King. During this period, Morgan became the most successful euphonium player of his generation, winning five European Championships, three British Open titles, three All-England Masters Championships, and a single English Nationals win along with several Yorkshire Area Championships. 1999 saw Morgan release his debut CD, The Voice of the Euphonium, which, if you've heard, you'll absolutely understand why it has such a strong name. After a brief period with the Williams Fairy Band, Morgan returned to the YBS Band before turning his interest to conducting. In 2007, Morgan turned his focus to conducting and was appointed the musical director of the newly named Hammond Saltaire Band, of which he is still the conductor of today. Most recently, Morgan was appointed senior lecturer of euphonium at the Leeds Conservatoire, where he takes responsibility of mentoring and guiding the next generation of talented euphonium students. At this point, I'd like to say, thank. Like before we even get into it, thank you so much, Morgan, for spending your time um, on the podcast. Um, and we'll just delve straight in, if that's all right. Okay, yes, great to be here. Uh, after the first one on your brass cast, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, first of all, when and why did you start playing the euphonium? When? Um, well, I was a cornet player originally. Um, I was taught by my by my father, so um, I was really brought up with with banding in, in my family. So I started when I was seven on cornet, but then went on to euphonium when I was 15. Because um, to be honest with you, I, I didn't really care for the cornet very much. It wasn't my favourite instrument. It always was uh, euphonium. So, um, and at that point, I was uh, I went on it then. I was, I was very lucky then to be taken straight away to have lessons with the uh, legendary Geoffrey Whittam. Mm-hmm. That's... Yeah. I've got, you've beat me to it there, mentioning Jeff Whittam. Oh, sorry. Uh, It's all right, absolutely fine. So, first of all, do you have a standout memory from your early years of learning to play before before you switched to euphonium or when you just switched to playing euphonium? Is there a memory that really stands out from that time? Well, at that time, we used to play with the Yorkshire Bus Company Brass Band, which is, is, is no longer going now. And I mean, we used to do a lot of, lot of competitions. It was very much a competition band. And we had some great uh, times with that. Um, in fact, one of the early memories was the in 1981 when they won the, I was only 10, I think. Yes, I was 10. And I won the um, the third section national finals. <laughs> yeah, that's a great memory. And of course, from draw number one, with my dad being involved, so he's a very good at drawing number ones. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that was a great memory. Um, certainly my early playing career before you were born, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant to hear. And my the one that I'm really interested in is, um, are there any words of wisdom that have stuck with you throughout your career after having, you know, your lessons with Jeff Whitton? I think, to be honest with you, I mean, I was very lucky. To, I mean, when I've been looking back at, at things just, just for this programme, and it's interesting how many people you actually came in contact with really and and you don't think of it at the time of them being legends but they are I mean people like um, Jeff Whitton 
John Clough, Jim Shepherd, you know, people mm. I spent a lot of time with actually, uh, and a lot of others as well, Derek Jackson, David Pogson, Philip McCann, and people like this. Mm. And you learn so much off all of them. I mean, Jeff was really down on his, his basics about playing, you know, it was into sound style, old school was Jeff, you know, and it was all about the sound you produce and singing style and all that sort of stuff. And that's always stuck with me through from Jeff. And, and that's really what I've always tried to do in my own playing. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear. So is there is there one if there's one phrase saying that has come from any of those people that you've come across, is there one saying that has stuck with you or sticks with you whenever when you whenever you come to approaching a piece, whether you're playing or you're conducting? I think with John Clough, I've mean, spent a lot of time with John and the one thing we asked you to talk about is how we project the sound and that, mm. that's really, really important and that, that's something that inspired me as a player because as a very early boy, I used to go, a young boy I used to go to the Black Diet rehearsals and I remember going to hear um, John play, they were playing a piece called Diversions by Derek Bourgeois from 1987 mm. and I turned up to rehearsal, Peter Parch conducting and it starts the second movement with a quartet and it was Philip McCann, Sandy Smith, Dave Pogson and, and, and John Clough. And I could have, I mean, they played this little bit, it's about four bars. They played it, they must have played it about 25 times. I could have mm. sit and listen to it all night. It was absolutely amazing. And then John played this, this last movement and the sound and the energy you used to get out of the thing. It just made your hair stand on end and it was just mm. amazing. Yeah, and it was, I'll never forget that particular no. night. Really inspired me from then on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be able to sit and hear those four players playing together, I mean. Something else, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've got a few kind of basic questions. Um, So, like, do you have a favourite ever performance from being a player or as a conductor? Well, both, really. Do you have a favourite performance, contest? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about these. I mean, mean, again, it's difficult because there's a lot, really. There's a lot of different... um, Test beat performances, I guess, that you, that you go back over the years. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, the obvious one with fairies was Masquerade, which was mm-hmm. which was a, probably one of my most famous ones, I guess, because it was it's probably one of the most difficult solos and, and always will be. Um, there's others then. I mean, YBS with a lot. I mean, things like Dub Descending, which was a very, very demanding euphonium part. So it was quite satisfying to win that particular contest on that piece, which was yeah. really demanding. But then there's others like Blitz at the European with YBS, S of Time with Black Dyke, which was my first major contest, which, which was 1990. Um, and then the Talis Variations with uh, YBS at the European was again a very special one, some really special moments in that. Um, conducting, I think, I mean, pageantry when we won, came second at the area. I mean, that was a very special occasion. Yeah. Trying for time at the Grand Shield, another one, you know. And then really the VTA tournament, the Open as well. We got six at the Open. That mm. was another and really special performance. And then going back a little bit further, can we remain at the area when we, we won that one as well? So some, some really great contests. There's, there's a lot, mm. actually, and it's difficult to pick out. Yeah. Really difficult to pick out one or two, you know. Yeah, well, when you've got a... Um... You know, an experience of playing like you do, I, I imagine it is quite difficult to pick out those <laughs> favourite performances. You like them all, to be honest, if you win them. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, now one is, do you have a favourite venue for a performance? Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always really liked the, uh, the Symphony Hall, to be honest. And again, yeah, I think... That's my favourite. Yeah, I mean, it, it could boil that to YBS a bit, because obviously we were the first band to win at symphony mm. hall so there was a bit of that in there um because it, it got got moved from because of princess danish funeral it got moved to the january so we were absolutely the first band to win that concert but i do like that that venue i mean the albert hall is different it's difficult to play in the albert hall it's not a very friendly hall 
Um, but it is very special hall when you when you play there, you know. But Symphony Hall definitely is my most mm. favourite. No, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, I've only ever done the like three, four British Opens, but mine stems from when I did like music for youth and getting to Birmingham and playing right. at the Symphony <laughs> Hall. So yes. that's, but that it's definitely a, a hall that I I really enjoy playing in as well. Yeah, it's a great acoustic. Yeah. Now, if you could have a lesson or play a duet or even sit in a room with any musician, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Well, I mean, one of my favourite musicians of all time is Leonard Bernstein. Mm. Absolutely love Leonard Bernstein. His playing, his everything, his teaching, everything he does just has so much energy about the thing and his musicianship is just absolutely amazing. So it would be... It would be amazing to do something with Leonard Bernstein. That would be uh, would be outstanding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be absolutely incredible. <laughs> so you've had a very successful playing career, playing with the likes of Black Dyke, YBS, Fairies, and you've even released your own CD, The Voice of the Euphonium. And yes. obviously, whilst playing with all these bands, I'm, you've been a part of quite a few CD recordings. Mm. So if you could say to someone, myself, anybody that really if they could listen to just one of those cds that you've performed on which cd would you recommend and why again it's, it's a difficult one because again there's, there's so many i mean it would have to be the ybs ones cd wise um mm-hmm. because i mean we did i think some some groundbreaking cds and one thing david king was so insistent on was that everything was absolutely perfect on them CDs. And, you know, it, when you look back on them now, you can, we're very proud of every one of them. But I, I think probably out the, old, the whole lot, I would think probably the first Essays CD, because that was mm. the Essays Volume 1. Um, because, again, of the music, there's some fantastic music on there, some of it not as well known as others. But the playing from the band is just, is just fantastic. It's really very special, that one, yeah. Mm, yeah, the, the YBS CDs are of really, really great quality. Mm. So moving on from your playing career, what made you decide to make the jump from playing to conducting? To be honest, again, it goes back to Jeff Whittam again. I mean, Jeff is, you know, he's had a lot of influence on my 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 life in banding and everything else, really. But it was just, to be honest, bumped into him at Brassing Concert one year, and and he and it was Elland band, who's his, his son Andrew played for Elland, and and we're looking for a conductor, and and basically he he, he just said, "It's him," and he said, "How do you fancy?" conducting you know and to be honest I'd, I'd not really thought about it but I was only sort of part of my career as well where I was really looking for a new challenge as well because I've done most of the things I wanted to achieve playing wise so it actually came along at the right time I did not re- honestly not really thought about it and then sort of thought well actually can I do this and do I really want to do it I know I wanted to do it but could I actually do it and all that sort of thing but then to be honest Jeff said he would help me and, and everything else and, and Dave King helped me quite a lot as well so I've got quite a lot of support there as, as usual so so yeah and that's that's how it came about really just a chance conversation with Jeff. <laughs> Was it scary to, to go to that first rehearsal and be like oh I'm conducting you now was that was that a scary moment? It is because the thing is that obviously as a player, the only thing you have to focus on is your own part and what you're, I mean, obviously your own section and everything else, but you're really focusing on what you're doing and, and everything else rather than, and also you're not used to standing in the middle. One of the hardest parts is, that, I mean, one of the worst places to, to actually be in a band is actually in the middle because 
you can't hear because there's that many things coming at you. Whereas when you're playing, you got you're sort of used to sitting in that seat. You can hear everything, whereas you sit there. And the other thing as well you find is that although you know pieces really well, suddenly you don't you realise you don't know them. You know the euphonium part very well, but you actually don't know <laughs> many of those. So if you get a march, for example, they give you a solo cornet part, and it's like, I don't even know. You get night templates, like I've played it a million times, you think... What is this? <laughs> so that was really off but it just takes a lot of time just to get used to it. But it was it was pretty nerve wracking when you when you start, you know, because when you put the, the button down and hope the hope the start, you know. <laughs> it doesn't always happen. No, I mean you you waving your arm around doesn't make a lot of noise, does it? <laughs> no, no, no. And it's there's a lot of things because it's you know, I mean the, the first thing is where they actually play, you know, because it's mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that come into it. But again, I do a lot of, I mean, one thing I do a lot is a lot of reading and things like that. I will mm-hmm. study a lot about things and read up on things. And that's something I've always done all through my playing career as well as my conducting career. And so it's something I do study a lot. Um, but it takes a long time and it is pretty scary to start with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say that was possibly your biggest challenge then when you first started, was just getting used to being in the middle? Yeah, I mean, that's sad. I mean, one of the things to start with is, is literally getting used to the beat patterns and, and, and actually made to listen. I mean, and, and that's always a challenge, actually, being able to, to hear what's going on around because you get, especially if it's quite a tricky piece, um, time signature wise, because you end up really focusing on, you can end up focusing on what you're doing there rather than actually what the band's doing, you know, and you can't, you've got to really step out of that. That's, that's the real difficulty because you sort of, the other thing as well, you sometimes hear what you think you hear and not what you actually hear. So yeah. an interesting thing when you start conducting is to record the rehearsals and you'd be mm-hmm. quite amazed sometimes what you hear back because what you've got in your head and what's what's actually happening <laughs> is two different things. So so that's quite a quite a good thing to do as a young conductor is mm-hmm. certainly, you know, run the thing through and then have a listen back to it because you might find it it doesn't sound like you think it may sound. Yeah. yeah. That's 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 a really great tip there. Yeah. So would that what would your like advice be to anyone that's looking into getting to conducting or you know, someone that's never conducted a band has no experience in conducting at all but thinks oh I want to challenge myself and see if I can give it a go what would your ad- advice be would it be talk to someone you know see if you can chip in and some you know try conducting in another band rehearsals that they have a like close relationship to what would your advice be yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, get involved, you know, you've just got to go and do it, you know, and that's one thing I've always done, you just go for it, you know, and, and, and you don't feel afraid, you know, I mean, the band's with you, like anything else. I mean, the first thing is just to, just to learn your basic beat patterns, you know, it's not as tricky as it seems, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it, it always seems a lot more difficult than it actually is. But I mean, just get used to your beat patterns first and, and then, you know, but also the main thing always when you're conducting it is know the piece, you know, but I mean, really know the piece. You, you, can't, you can't stand up there and not know the piece the band do know when you've not done your homework you know and you, you must know exactly what you're doing and that is the one thing as a player you can't sort of just come in and sort of sight read things because that's that's what we do as a player but as a conductor that's not on you know you've got you really got to come in you've got to know exactly what you want from that piece that's certainly pretty much a good idea of what so you can then it's really you're teaching the players how to play the piece so you know you need to really know it well yourself and that's that's an absolute essential yeah yeah absolutely would you say it's more difficult to sight read conducting then rather than playing like if you're sight no because well funny enough because when i come back to playing now i always find my reading goes really bad because the the, the problem is that you don't really read the note because you're not really in any notes you're reading mm-hmm. patterns 
So actually all you're reading is the beat patterns, which is not, you're not actually playing any notes. So so actually that, you, you're reading, when I come back to your phone, because I mean, during a lockdown, I've done so much more playing now, you know, and I've been getting quite back into it again. And and actually you're reading, when you're explaining about it, it's, it's so slow, you know, because you're just not used to doing any mm. note playing, you know, because it's literally just patterns, which, so yeah. <laughs> I can imagine when, uh, when banding gets back to being in uh, full blow and everyone's back at band, I imagine quite everyone will be feeling the same when it comes to back to sight reading well that's it yeah i mean it's yeah it's been a tough year hasn't it i mean all around i mean i don't think i've ever i've never been out of banding for such a long time and i'm pretty sure no one has you know it's just just absolutely unprecedented situation you know where we've not been together and i mean we can do that you know it's been nice to do zoom things there's been some brilliant things on zoom some brilliant uh, distance performance i've been listening tonight some really really good ones you know but it's not the same as that physical contact in a band room in a rehearsal and which is nice to know actually because it is that specialist of being together in that same place yeah. and making that music together which you can't do on a on a computer you know we, we can it's it's nice to put the things together but it certainly is uh, something we need to be there together to do yeah no, i mean i i completely agree with you i mean like i started playing when i was like four years old and i've been in you know in junior band worked my way up through youth bands straight into senior bands so when banding stopped this year in march i was like well i don't know life without band i was no. like what do i do with all my time i'm normally at bands <laughs> I know, and the thing is, you know, I've got me like Christmas concerts and we haven't had any, have we? And it's been, you know, no. it's pretty sad, isn't it? You know, because you've, you know, you've got your favourite concerts we do all the time and competitions, and that's what we drive towards, isn't it? It really gives us a good focus, but oh. it's, it's been hard. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, uh, I didn't think I'd ever say that I'm, I'm missing Christmas concerts because it's, it's obviously always a really busy time of year, but this year I'm, I'm actually, now that I don't have them, I'm really missing those Christmas concerts. I know. I suppose in a way it's good because it does make us think about that and makes us appreciate it a bit more oh, maybe, actually. I <laughs> completely agree, completely agree. <laughs> so at the time that you took over conducting and became a musical director at Hammonds, uh, yeah. obviously which we've discussed and talked about already, did you think you'd be still conducting the same band over 10 years later? Well, it's funny because, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I've not really had that many bands, if, if I'm being honest. I mean, I do still stick to, I mean, I've been, I mean, Hammond's actually, as a band, I've been with for quite a long time. I mean, because mm. really, I mean, I, like I said before, at the beginning, I played for the Yorkshire Bus Country Band. I mean, when I started having lessons with Jeff Whitton, he took me to Brodsworth Colliery Band, which is a band that's no longer going now. And I did a stint there. But then I went to Hammond's, so... I went from there to Black Dyke and then came back to Hammond's, which became YBS. Um, and then I just spent at, at Fairies for a couple of years and then back to YBS. So, so really, I've, I've pretty much been with that band on and off for, for quite a long time, you know. So I don't really... I mean, Black Dyke was a band I just wanted to play for as a yeah. as a young boy. That was the, the thing I wanted to do. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to sit in John Clough's seat. You know, that's what I wanted to do when, when he retired, you know, and, that, and that's what I did, which which was more or less my aim from being a small child, basically, you know. Um, mm. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. So uh, obviously you've just said you've had an association with Hammonds for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. What do you think has made it such a successful relationship? It's a band I just feel it's... Uh, I've always, always enjoyed Hammonds from the, the first time I started there. I mean, obviously there's a Jeff Whittam connection, which is very important to me because, I mean, Jeff did a lot for me as a, as a, as a player and a musician. Um, I mean, he was the first person I come in contact really. It, it was 
Again, as I say, one of the greats, really, a legend, Jeff, you know. I mean, I mean, Jeff, you know, he didn't pull his punches, Jeff. He, he calls a spade a spade and, and that was it, you know. And and I like that, you know, because there's no messing with Jeff. You know, if it's not very good, you certainly know about it <laughs> and everything else, you know. And, and so there's that Jeff connection there. Um, and as I say, it, it's a band I've, I've just sort of grown up. It's, it's been the band I've always been associated with. And then, obviously, then we went through the Dave King years with YBS, which were very, very special, you know, which were just an amazing period to be part of, you know, with such a great team. And the thing is with that band as well, I mean, obviously, Dave was absolutely fantastic in the middle, you know, but, I mean, I knew Dave from Black Dyke, you know, and, and I always loved playing for Dave. He's just very special, again, really special musician. And But then we had a special band as well, you know, a, a very like-minded player who were just so committed you know I mean we had a few you know incidents one thing or another because everyone was really want but everyone wanted the same thing and that was really like Black Dyke as well that had that sort of focus mm -hmm. that you know they all wanted the same thing and, and you know they, want, they wanted to do it and whatever it took to do it and that's and Hammond's is the same you know it's, it's always been part of my life really you know and the band nearly went all together after YBS you know so yeah. It was one of them, we couldn't see that happen. And, and really that could never happen, you know, otherwise you could say it was very close to disappearing altogether. And so a few of us kept it kept it going and, we, and we've, we've got it back where it should be. And now we need to, to go even further, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously there's still some yourself and Mike and Darren, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and bass, you know, a, a very key, key members, all three of you are all very key to the band, you know, been there for, what was it? 25 years? 25 years, them guys, yeah. I don't Which know how long is... I've been, actually, because I've been sort of on and off between, you know, because obviously we were there before them too, but then obviously yeah. they've been there continuous of Mike and Darren, so they're great servants and great yeah. friends, great players, yeah. Love yeah, them. absolutely <laughs> incredible that this, that you have such a strong commitment to the band. It's really great to hear, yeah. you know. To be honest, though, you have to do. I mean, that's the thing, and that's one thing these days as well, you know, of committing to something properly. And that's, again, that goes back to Jeff, you know, and, and my dad and all these other sort of players, you know, you do that and, and you, you, you do commit to something properly and, and do it, you know, and that's that's why I was brought up, really, you know. So we're going to move on now and um, talk about slightly about contesting and right. contest preparation. Hmm. Um, so you have your fair share of experience now performing as a player and conducting a band at contests of yeah. all all kinds of, you know. Has the the way that you prepare for a contest changed? Would that is that that as a change from a player to conductor that has it changed as you've got more experience? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I wish I'd known when I was younger <laughs> that I do now. But I mean, the, the thing is, with, with, with contests, as far as a player's concerned, it's a lot to do with managing the nerves and everything else. That's that's the one thing. But I mean, the one thing you've got to know straight away is that everyone gets nervous. I mean, that's not something that ever goes away. It's how you manage that. It's not it's not something you can get rid of. You know, I think early on, you're, like, you're trying to you think, oh, no, no one gets nervous because no one used to talk about it, to be honest. And I think it's talked about more now, which is good. Um but I mean, the main thing is managing your breathing and all them things, you know, that again, I didn't really do when I was younger. We just used to do it. But you, you realise that a lot of players actually quietly under the radar do all these things, which weren't sort of, as I say, when I was started playing, certainly Black Diamond, players like Derek Jackson, 
I mean, he used to sit before a contest. He used to just sit literally quietly doing breathing exercises. But he wouldn't say we're doing breathing exercises. He didn't notice. But when you zoom in, you think, oh, what's he doing there? And then you ask him later. And all these things are going on. And, and that's the, the main thing to control on a contest is, is the breathing. And getting that right is everything. Because if you do that, actually, it, there's them breathing exercises we've done before, the straw breathing things, which, again, Dave King taught me them. I wish I'd have known of them about, you know, when I was 18, because it would have saved me a lot of heartache. Because you, you go on stage, then you feel much more relaxed. Your breathing's good. You still get nervous. I mean, that will always happen, you know, and I think you can't fight things like that. But the other thing is preparing fully as well for the contest. So you, you, you're really thinking about what the hall's like, what you're going to feel like, how you're going to feel on that particular occasion, because there's lots of different ways you can feel, particularly if you've got a big solo. I mean, the ones we talked about, like you, I mean, Dove Descending was a particularly one because it was written where you have a massive cadenza and then a little break, and then literally you're playing a massive slow movement, which is you again, which is which is hard because once you've done a big mm. solo, the heart rate's really going. <laughs> and the last thing you want to do is play something really soft and quiet again because yeah. obviously you're straight back in. So again, a lot of road work running. You know, as soon as that came out, get out on the road, get your heart rate down, get in shape and all these things, you know, they're all important. Um, I think as a conductor, it's different because you don't sort of, you don't get, as, well, I don't anyway, I never, seem, never get as nervous conducting. I think you've got your back to the audience, you know, so it's more <laughs> on the players, I guess, and, and it's more what the players are going to do rather than what you're going to do. So it, it's, it's quite different in that way. I'd never get nervous as a conductor, really. Um, I think you get nervous for the band more than, more the actual the actual conducting itself you know because it's just a different thing that as her playing and conducting the in that way they're slightly different mm -hmm. so obviously on a run up to a contest performers the players themselves obviously have to do a lot of of practice do mm. you have do, do you have to do as much practice as a conductor do you do you sit and practice your beat patterns and do you practice for it in case things go wrong as a conductor yeah, I mean yeah, I mean, it's not so much that when you conduct. I mean, the, the most, I guess, when you're preparing for a contest, um, I mean, that way, you, you're not looking at the beat patterns and all that sort of stuff, unless it's a particularly tricky piece. But there aren't many, to be honest, that come up like that. I think Brussels Requiem, that were a bit of an awkward one, you know, stuff like that, which, which are quite, then you do have to practice things. But really, it's all about the listening and the performance and what you're wanting to do with it and how that's going to come together. And, and really, it's making sure that the whole performance makes sense as well, because it's very easy to get into details of, of one little bit, this bit. And, you know, my thing is always, does it connect as a whole? Does it make sense? You know, that's, that's the thing. And a lot of listening back, I mean, I do a lot of recordings of rehearsals as well. And just analysis and how we can improve. And it's literally constantly improving everything. So you you could have post-it notes galore on the score, you know, could literally for all these little bits, because there's that many you can just go at. But, and it's just stripping that away till you get to the contest performance. And then we get to where we need to be with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So uh, for me, the staple things that, that I do as, as a play on, on in the run-up to a contest is that, you know, like you said, I always try and get out running fairly regular yeah. I, I mean I do not call myself a runner in any stretch of the imagination but no. you know I try and get, make sure that I'm kind of in some kind of shape and yeah. you know I always have I, I don't know anybody else that does this and when I tell all my friends they're like what are you doing is that the week before a contest I make sure that I don't drink any alcohol you oh, know, yeah. as, a, as a student all my friends are like oh well, let's go and have a drink and the week before a contest I'm like no, I, I'm not. I don't drink the week before a contest, it, like which is a staple for me. And if I 
do have a drink, even one drink, one gin, I feel the difference in my playing. Yeah. Um, which is obviously, that's my staple thing in, in the run up to a contest. Do you have any staple things like that? Yeah, yeah, playing wise, yeah. Because I mean, again, there's certain things I don't eat. Um, I mean, certain things I don't do. I mean, I mean, like in a contest day, I mean, we used to get a contest and everyone's tucking into a baking sound, you know, fry up and all that. And it's like, I mean, that's a total no-no for me. I mean, it was always sort of, sort of bread, jam and cheese. That was it, literally. Because, I mean, it just dry, I mean, salt dries you up totally. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I mean, you, you don't want to go on stage and you, you dried up because you've had a salty breakfast, you know, which which that's really important. I mean, the run-up to the contest, like you say, I mean, just like I say, I'm not a massive runner myself, but I mean, it's just getting in that sort of shape, isn't it, and that that mindset for the contest. But yeah, you've really got to watch. I mean, they always laugh at me and say, don't have bacon sandwiches and things like that, you know, but actually it's really important because it does dry you out. And on stage, you know, the last thing you want to do is get get dry because you basically had all them things. You know, there's a lot of other stuff as well. You know, I don't really drink. I mean, coffee, I avoid contests, mm-hmm. you know. In fact, most, I don't have many drinks at all. It's mainly water, you know, because again, that can, caffeine's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that can all affect things. So there's quite a lot of things, yeah, I would definitely avoid, but certainly salty breakfasts and things like that if it's mm. a morning of a contest, definitely avoid, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've, I have to say I, I'm equally, I don't have a lot of salt on a contest day, but I'd never thought about, I've never I've never thought about caffeine. I still always have a coffee. All maybe right. I, maybe <laughs> next time I'll try not having a coffee and see if that makes a difference. Well, again, it, yeah, it's a stimulant, isn't it? Which yeah. <laughs> stimulated I, enough. <laughs> it, I'd absolutely not thought of that before. That's... No, fizzy drinks is another. Mm. <laughs> That's another one, isn't it? Mm. So, so you talked about before how the YBS being successful with David King and you know you all wanted the same thing and obviously you did incredibly incredibly well at contests yeah. do you think there's a secret to doing well at a contest um yeah I think well I think a band reaches a band's actually it's funny that <laughs> you, you seem to be trying to win contests for a long time you know and, you, and you're getting sort of you sort of getting around second and thirds and thing like that and then suddenly something sort of clicks with the band and it's usually a player I mean I, I mean with YBS for example I mean we were always sort of around the prizes and we're always pretty near you know I played well but then that contest we're talking about the 1990 uh, well it was 98 it was the 97 open mm-hmm. um, two players joined the band Pete Roberts joined on soprano and Nick Hudson joined on trombone and although we'd great players you know all around the stand them two seats just absolutely lifted the band, you know, to another level. I mean, Pete Roberts coming in and Nick on trombone, and this, the confidence Pete gave the band was just something else. And and honestly, that it was funny because he wouldn't have played if it had been held in 1997, Pete, because he joined after. So yeah. and and them two players coming in, just for some reason, lifted the whole thing. And you sort of go through a period. It's funny then because you, you just can't lose contests. It's amazing. <laughs> it's funny. You just seem to just not be able to lose them at all, you know. And you get to a point as well where the band is that good that you know that really the only way you're going to not do well is if, if you don't play well, you know, because the band actually, if you play like they can, they're going to be pretty much, they're going to be there or thereabouts, you know, all the time. And and it's, and then it goes down the other way, you know, so you, you're playing, it's funny how it works because it sort of goes down the arc and then you sort of probably, you do win some things and you're probably not playing as well as you were at the start, you know, and, and it goes like that in cycles, you know, and we like Corey at the moment at the top of the, the pile now with that. Absolutely. You know? and, 
and that's the thing, you know. But I mean, when we were there with YBS, see Corey were, were kicking about seconds and thirds everywhere and all this, you know. And then they've really come to fruition for a long period now, you know. And and it was Black Dyke before that, and other bands, and it, and it sort of goes in cycles as that, you know. But you do know when the band is really zinging and it's all clicking and all them, and it's having it's having a player the players in every seat. Yeah. For it to happen, when it does, it's just an amazing experience, and obviously the guy in the middle as well. Yeah. <laughs> obviously we've spoke a bit about um preparation um Mm. as well are there any contest performances that you wish you'd prepared for differently Uh, yes um masquerade actually because that's a long journey because actually the first time i played that was in 1993 which and i played it with hammonds at the open that year and that year i mean that was when it first came out that particular piece um and actually, there was only really one band play, which were fairies. I mean, they were outstanding. Ian Peters on Euphonium or something else. And Major Parks had a great read of that piece. The, the, I mean, if it were one of them pieces at the time, oh, it's impossible. <laughs> they were all doing that. But obviously now, you know, I mean, there's a nationally two out of two and everyone managed it quite well. So, I mean, you know, bands have come on massively. But actually, that day, I didn't play well at all. I mean, I did, and, but again, just to be quite honest, took it far too lightly, the whole piece, and one thing or another, and didn't put the work in and, and all that sort of stuff. And... Um, and didn't play well. And, and the first person I saw when he came off stage was the first time I've seen him since Black Dyke with David King. And uh, he told me in no certain terms, he never thought he'd hear me play that badly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, which, uh, which wasn't really what I wanted to hear from him. But I mean, as they say, you learn more from your bad performances than your good ones. And to be quite honest with you, when that piece came up again, I were doing everything, literally everything. I was going to play that piece and it was going to be amazing. There was no way that that was going to ever happen again. And that really drove me to what, what we did with Fairies when we won the Nationals, you know, because I thought, and I knew how, the, I knew how much work I had to put in mm-hmm. over the six months, really, because it was now six months before to, to do that and, and to do that piece as I really wanted to do it. And so that was a bit of a bit of a long journey so yeah that were a, a bad one <laughs> yeah so is that from what you learned from that performance is that you can't take anything too lightly no i think the thing is that you know you, you join black dyke at 18 and all these sort of things you think you're the bee's knees and all that and that can very soon come crashing down if you don't put the time in you know and you've really got to make sure all the time that your foot's on the gas and that you you know because i've seen it so many times with with great players as well who go on a bit too long and then have a bad performance you know the thing is they also remember the bad ones you know people don't remember the good ones it's just it's a sorry thing but it happens you know and and i've seen it happen you know to players that i really care about and are great players you know and it gets mentioned all the time mm-hmm. you know so you've really got to be on your game all the time you know you can't take your foot off the gas and and you know if you want to be the best it there's no shortcuts to greatness it's the same old thing, you know, the old DNA of a champion is, you know, consistency, isn't it? You know, consistency, consistency, and that wins contests. And that what YBS were, they were consistent, you know, mm. they were consistently good with great soloists, but a great band as well. It wasn't just, you know, that's the other thing. It were always saw the dream team, that was, and that, that was a tag that the band used to hate. And, and I, did, <laughs> I know, because, you know, your, your second horn, your second corn, it's, you know, they're all part of this dream team, you know. <laughs> It's not just the, the end chairs, you know, and without them, you know, your end chairs are nothing, you know, and we had a great team full stop, you know, through right throughout the band, back into the sort of guys that run the band, you know, yeah. so it's, it's all about that really, yeah. Yeah, absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we're going to move on slightly now, um, and I've got s- some questions that um, oh. you're phoning and playing again, obviously. Yeah. Um, so are there any solos or test pieces that you've never had the chance to play or to perform that you wish you had? Any test pieces that have come out in recent years, even ones that have just you've never had the chance to play, solos that you've never had chance to play in, in public, ones that you've just learnt at home and never been able to play in front of an audience? There's quite a few, yeah, because, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, suppose uh, recently, I mean, one of the best test pieces I like is that Vita Turner, and that's a great piece, and there's some great youth parts in that. And actually, the area piece this year would have been one. Mm. would have been nice to play, the tale untold, because actually... I could have that that youth part was just great. <laughs> right in my street with that, yeah, I could have could have really played that. I mean, most of the pieces, to be honest, we I've sort of gone through I mean a lot of the, the more difficult ones, I guess, they all came up at that when I was playing a lot of them, like your masquerades, your dub descendants and all them, there were some pretty hard pieces at that time that came up. Solo wise, I mean, um to be honest, I mean a lot of the Philip Spark ones I really like, like Harlequin. I've never actually played that. That's one I've been working on recently. That's that's a nice one. And pieces like that, because I've never actually done them. The, um, um, there's that one and there's the, a lot of the Bearcroft ones, the, the Salvation Army ones, they're great solos. Because yeah, I've yeah. done Euphony and all them. But I've never done The Better World and all the other. But there's a load of others as well by Norman Bearcroft, which are, which are fantastic, which I would like to play, yeah. Oh, great. Um, so for the like the budding, the young euphonium players that are learning now, even, you know, coming through music college and what have you. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the one solo piece that they should learn? One solo piece that is a definite that they should learn, they should be able to play, if there's one. Well, it's difficult to pick one um, because, I mean, there's, there's a varied lot you need to learn, isn't there? I mean, that's the mm-hmm. thing. I mean, one thing I would say, though, is, is really develop your sound. That is the most important thing. And I think sometimes that these days gets forgotten. I mean, you know, a lot of euphonic players have passed have very distinctive sounds. You could tell who was who. And, and I feel now we seem to get less and less character in the sound. And you should have your own voice. And it should, you know, end of the day, the sound is the most important thing. So slow melody playing which seems to have disappeared a little bit now. There's very few of them. It's so important, knowing the words, things like that. I mean, Flower Song is a fantastic one from Carmen. That is, again, yeah. it's one that everyone should play. And again, but you've got to learn the words, you know, and listen to Nikolai Geda singing the thing, you know, or whatever else, you know, whatever your favourite singers, learn the phrasing. Phrase endings, that's something else I hear a lot as well, that we, we know how to start the notes and sustain the notes, but how we actually finish the notes as well and things like that. It's so, so important, you know, and it's really that development of, a, of your sound. You know, you can have a million one notes, but someone who can play with that emotion and that sound, it's worth everything. It's gold at the end of the day. And that's what makes the great players in my book, anyway. Mm-hmm. Would you prioritise developing sound over developing any kind of technique? I suppose it's one of them things. That, I mean, I had to... Yes, I mean, I mean, sound's the most important thing at the end of the day, but you do need a technique. I mean, I guess euphonium playing's changed a lot. Um, I mean, it is more technically based now than it used to be. I mean, some of the pieces like we get now, like Triumph of Time, for example, I mean, the euphonium part in that, I mean, I've never played that, but I mean, I would have to, you know, work pretty hard on that because it's not my sort of thing, you know, but um, I suppose that is something we need to do more, but certainly the most important thing is the sound, you know, and that is something, again, Jeff Whittam, 
just drummed into me. It's, you know, and it's basics, your long tones, all these sort of things, and lots of them, you know, really building the sound, pedal tones and all these sort of things to really develop your sound, because that is the most important thing that a listener wants to hear, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, another kind of one aimed at, your, you know, younger players. Um, mm. Is there, a, like, a specific study book? Obviously, there's the Arbans, the old... Clog Gordon, the I can't even think of them all, like the Herbert Clark, yeah. yeah, Charles Collins, everything like that. Is the one study book that you think is the most important? There's never one, because to be honest, really, what you should do is mix it up. I mean, that's the thing, because I mean, the Vasuti books are very good um, for certain aspects. Um, but like I say, the album's valuable. But again, it's making sure you practice the album properly. We can all say, oh, we're doing the album and, and running through the things, you know, but are we actually practicing them properly? That's that's the other thing. And same lip flexibility is a good book for that. But I don't think there's one book that covers everything, mm. um, really. You can't say, I mean, I mean, the album, well, if you think about when that was written, I mean, it's pretty special, really. Into 18, look at them cornets in the front. The, yeah. <laughs> the British Museum, don't they? You know, so when it was written in 18, something my beer film um signed the front of me so it's a long time ago but i mean that is an important book um but then a lot of the new american things are very good certainly the brass gym and things like that uh, that's a super book um and the philip spark studies the super studies they're very very good as well some great ones there um so i mean there isn't one particular one um and then lip flexibilities i mean the the john ridgeon one's very good for that or the charles colin you know i mean but i won't say there's one particular one um i think the best thing is to mix it up because you really want to be doing sometimes do the Vasuti and then other days do the arbor then do your claw gordon ones you know there's a herbert clark setting up drills which are brilliant and again if you can get a rotor of things it's great because you're not focusing on one thing you're actually focusing on everything and, and covering all your aspects you need to do Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. um i think i can predict what you're going to say for this question um yeah. but out of all of the test pieces with challenging euphonium parts is mm. there anyone that stands out that is the most challenging and that any euphonium player should have had a look at just in case it comes round again uh, for a contest <laughs> test piece <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah i mean dove descending i think it's probably the hardest but i i feel the hardest one with that. i mean but again there will be ones that the tough you know i mean most of them dove descending masquerade but then your older ones are difficult i mean again on a contest a lot of things are difficult i mean loire east is not easy when you get on a contest no. harmony music is another one you know i mean i've played that three times in contest it doesn't get any easier <laughs> <laughs> and then there's pieces like harrison's dream which that is a that's a demand, but again in a different way, not technically, but musically, and it and it's very high the range in Harrison. So definitely should know the their montage is another one, which is a great euphonium part. I mean Peter writes some beautiful euphonium lines. So I mean certainly masquerade of descending because that's they were they are the big ones. Yeah, uh, Harrison's dream and, and montage. Yeah, they're really good ones too, and the great youth parts as well. Then lots of solo lines in them. Mm-hmm. So as a solo euphonium player yourself, what do you look for in a second euphonium player by your side? What what factors and traits do you look for in a second euphonium player? Well, it's funny because I thought about this because, I mean, I mean, the second euphonium, I haven't had that many, actually, but I've had some really good, well, probably some of the best, you know. I mean, I mean two guys, Spinter Brown, Stuart Derrick and Ian Yates, you know, just fantastic second use. And, I mean, the first thing, I guess, is... the the sound's got to blend with yours. I mean, that that's the most important thing, because if it doesn't, you know, because it can clash um, 
and then also personalities as well because you know you've got to be able to get on with the the person you're working with so really two things the sound the blend of the sound and do you get on you know because obviously you've got to work together so if somebody they might be the best player in the world or be able to play the John Gull on your phone and concerto, you know, but you're not really wanting them to do that. You know, you want someone who's going to be there for you. Um, I mean, players like Stuart and Ian, they're, they're literally, it's just such a specialist job. I mean, again, I was told by Jeff Whitton to learn that job myself. So I knew what it was about. You know, learn your trade, he used to say. That's one thing else you say. Learn your job, learn the trade. Be on second you phone and learn how to do it because when you play solo your phone, you need to know it is to sit in that chair. And the thing is, it's very different, you know, because you do treat that differently then because it's a very specialist thing. They've got to cover breathing. They've got to know exactly what you're doing. And when you get some like Stuart or Ian, they literally know before you know what you're going to do. <laughs> so if you're struggling on something, they know they're in there. And, and, and it's, it's that teamwork. And when you get someone like that, it's very special because it makes it a lot easier for you because it's not easy sitting on the end when you get in a contest. You've got enough pressure on. But them guys really help because, you know, they literally know you and they know they can sort of feel how it's going or <laughs> what's happening. So, yeah, them two things are the most important. You know, some you can work with and, and someone that blends with you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is, well, quite a big question, I suppose, but right. it depends what you, depends on your, <laughs> your opinions on yourself, really. <laughs> what do you think made you as successful as you were as a player? Um, it's difficult to say into that, I guess. It, it's, I suppose it's that total dedication and single-mindedness as to what I wanted to do. You, you've got to have a goal in mind as to what that is and what you want to do. Um, if you don't, you're not gonna, you're not gonna achieve that. You know, I mean, you, you really got to set out your stall. You want to do this, and then it's how you get there. I guess at the end of the day, but it's that total dedication which rubs off on other people as well and the band. You know, because you put that time in, you're there every rehearsal, you put that commitment in. Everybody else does, um, and you lead by example, and that's what I've always tried to do in playing and conducting you know because if, if I'm there all the time and I'm putting the work in then I'm expecting everyone else to do as well and and I think when you get into that situation then with like-minded players like we said before and they're all clicking that way then that becomes a success because you're not really a success on your own it's 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 you know it's part of that team with with everybody else I mean like with YBS it, you know you, you've been you've shown and all the other players you know in there as well who you know make it just as much success you and you know, not every contest is down to you, you know, I mean, you might be a big part in some of them, but in others, you might not have much at all, you know, and, and funnily enough, you get more nervous in them performances than you do, <laughs> than you're doing the ones you've got a lot in, you know, because you've got less to think about, I guess, and all that, but really, it's just that dedication to the team, wanting to do it, knowing what you want to do, and just being single-minded, and I've never come across any successful player that's not really been like that, mm -hmm. it's funny, they all have that same drive, and determination i think that's really what it's all about brilliant so what performance do you think that you played your all-time best at the absolute peak of your playing what performance was that do you know um well actually we did um we did a thing with fairies because um it was funny because when i left ybs i went to fairies it just sort of gave me a new sort of lease of life for a bit of that, that that particular period and it was just funny how that worked. Um, but we did a performance at the Masters on a piece called Atlantic um, by Philip Wilby, which is actually quite a less known piece. It's not, I've never heard it since, actually. No, um, it's not one I'm but, familiar with. 
No, no. Well, that, that day I won the Four Bars Rest Award, the Soloist Award on the, on the contest. And, it, and to be honest, it was probably one of the best... One of the best I've played in a contest ever. That you referred is Atlantic at the uh, at the Masters. Mm. And is there a recording of that performance? <laughs> I don't. I, to be honest, I don't know. Actually, I've never heard the piece back. Actually, it's funny because it's one of them. Uh, funny Philip Wilbur's. He all sat in funny place. Because sat. Yeah. It's funny when a few of us had left YBS and went to fairs, and we were sat literally together because my brother Garant plays bass drum, but he he was sat here and John Davis here in the middle sat sort of where the second baritone normally sits it was very strange but I've never heard a, a record I'm sure there probably is somewhere but I've never I've never heard it I think Foden's what we came second before is yeah ah brilliant yeah <laughs> um you've recently been appointed um as senior lecturer of Euphonium at Leeds Conservatoire which is a really yeah. really exciting position and I believe your first kind of role like this um before yes. What 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 does your role entail? How is it going with everything on Zoom and being online? Are you teaching in person? What's it like? We've actually been in actually, which has been quite. I've done some on Zoom, but I mean generally it's been we've actually been in. But obviously we were all socially distanced, and we've got we've got all the safety screens and everything else we need for to be COVID secure and all that sort of thing. But no, it's been great. I mean it's it's. It's nice actually to teach at that level again. I mean, I used to teach at Salford uh, at one time. Did your phonemes there? Um, but it's nice now to get back to that that level of teaching again, and then players, you know. And also, it's that's really what I want to be, so I can be inspired in the next generation of euphonium players, you know, because I do feel I've a lot to offer that way. And there's a lot of lot of things that I would like to see players do from now on like we said about the sound and now we develop that and one thing or another and that's something I really like to develop with the students there and there's certainly a lot of good students there and it's it's going really well yeah no, it's yeah. absolutely brilliant I completely agree that you do have a lot to offer to those students there and they're incredibly lucky to have you as their teacher <laughs> thank you um so you're saying before in lockdown, you've had a chance to do some more practice and obviously being, mm -hmm. a, being a teacher at Leeds now, we, you, obviously you, must, you <laughs> must, be in some, must be in some kind of form. So yeah. how much practice do you actually do? Um, well, I mean, how normally, often? how often? Well, I mean, I well, practice every day, yeah. I mean, I usually do. I mean, an hour is normal for me. I mean, I know some do superhuman four hours and this and that. I never have. I mean, it was funny because when, when I did the solo CD, The Voice of the Euphonium, we ended up so I spent a lot of time with, with David when we did that with Dave King. Um, but we we got up sort of two and a half hours practice, you know, which <laughs> for me I don't know. It's always been an hour. If I can do an hour's practice, that is that is my thing. I've I've got my set thing, and I don't. I've, it's funny because I actually teach um, all my students to have breaks, but I never do. I literally do an hour, and that's it. And I go right through, you know, and I do the all my all my basic things. And last thing I do is solos. That's that's not really high on the agenda that's always the, the sort of last thing um and and that's how, how i've always done it but an hour yeah pretty much is, is what i know yeah mm -hmm. have you always done an hour so when you when you took back you know a step back from playing into conducting have you always stuck to doing an hour a day have you always been in form without us all knowing about it well not as much as, i mean the thing is for me i mean i get in practice a lot with band work so I, mm -hmm. I mean I'm a player that relies a lot I mean I do I've always done an hour's practice yes so I do I do do that but the thing is that I've always sort of relied on the band as well because that sort of blowing in band really really gets me in top form you know which which you don't get when you're not playing in a band I think that's the no I'm de I've definitely been feeling that 
myself obviously in, in my final yeah. year of my degree and even you think well, having a recital in in november was half an hour long you think oh that's fine but actually practicing for it without having band you don't actually realize how much it does affect your stamina and no no because i mean obviously you don't blow that volume at home i mean well you couldn't could you <laughs> 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 enjoy it what if you start blowing like that at home but i mean an old tip that bob charles used to say was to get the old get a march particularly the german march i used to do that quite a lot and and actually just blow through them at, put a practice mute and blow through them at full belt you know and actually just to, to get your chops in form because it's it's funny when you're playing actually because you can be playing a lot like you can be on tour um you know you can have two weeks tour and you, you're brilliant at playing the stuff on a tour but then you're actually out of practice which is which is crazy really but you just sort of get used to playing in pieces you know so again when you come back to it you're just like it's like doing a contest you know when you do the monday night and it's like you never played before <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's amazing because you've just been playing that one piece for all that time but i guess that's just the nature of uh, the nature of life i guess yeah absolutely <laughs> um could you ever see yourself going back to playing solo youth and a full time in a band um, I, don't, I mean, you never, well, you never say never, do you? But I mean, it's it's not, um, I don't think I, I don't think I play in a band. It, it's very difficult because I think you come to a certain point that there's certain players that you'd want to play in a band with um, who play in that style that you're used to, you know, and you're comfortable with that and, and everything else. And, and like, I mean, I guess if, if, if YBS got a reunion band together, something like that, which has been mentioned a few times, you know, I mean, we'd all be there with Elden, you know, because it'd be fantastic because everyone... Yeah has that same ethos, I guess, you know. Um, but actually to do the week in, week out, I mean, doing maybe a, a, the odd solo piece or something like that, or, or recording, you know, which, I mean, obviously, you know, people are doing more recordings now as well with, with, with the lockdown and things. So, yeah, I think I would, I, I like to do that because, I mean, there's quite a few solos I've been working on, actually, which would be quite nice to do with a band, you know, something like that. But I'm not sure about the week in, week out. Well, I mean, we're conducting. You just forget the time anyway, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the thing, yeah. <laughs> um, do you miss the the playing side of being a band? Obviously, you you really enjoy conducting a band, but do you miss the playing side of it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just different, I guess, because you, I suppose, the camaraderie is different when you're conducting because you you do have to have that distance between you and the players, which and and obviously as well. One of the difficulties I found with conducting, certainly when I started taking YBS, because originally I was playing in the band. So you go from being a euphonium player, which is which is sort of one of the lads and all that sort of thing, then you go from being in charge of the thing. And, and that is quite tricky, that, you know, because um, it's difficult to get that a different sort of respect because you do need that distance from the players, which you don't have when they sort of know you as a, as, you know, as a euphonium player in the band. It's slightly different. So I guess that's that's a bit tricky in that way. <laughs> mm. Yeah. We've not really not really spoke about it. You um, having having two lovely children, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and your son Edward is learning to play, and he's currently on cornet. That's um, right. Do yeah. you hope that he one day switches to playing the euphonium? Um, to be honest, I mean, if if he makes a cornet player, that would be would be fantastic. You know, um, actually, Olivia, young daughter, she just started playing baritone now. Actually, so she just started, which she seemed to Edward prefers cornet actually, and Olivia seems to suit the baritone because we tried her on a cornet, she just didn't suit it at all. So I don't know. Maybe we'll have a, a top man and a solo phone eventually. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. That'd be absolutely amazing if they. Um... <laughs> <laughs> they did grow up and become that. that I'm, they would be some yeah, words. some arguments then. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got a couple questions now that I've actually come off our Instagram page after right. um, 
you know, announcing that you'll be our, our guest on today. So these are, <laughs> I've got two questions here that have actually come from the Brasscast's audience. Oh, right, um, okay. The first one is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Um, well, I think it's really what we said earlier about how we prepare for things, you know, make sure make sure you prepare for things properly, you know, don't take things too lightly. And, you know, if you want to do something, achieve something, you've got to really put that time in, you know, there's no, there's no shortcuts to that sort of thing. And I guess as well, there's, there's certain things as well that, you, you know, you fuss about a lot. And I think one of the big things I've learned as I've got old is how to practice better. Um, and I think there's a lot more resources now for everybody. You know, I mean, Steve Mead does some brilliant uh, euphonium tutorials and things for everybody now. And they're, they're fantastic. You know, I mean, I've seen quite a few of the euphonium club and things like this and get involved with them, you know, because there's so much good stuff out there that, that they're doing. Dave Thornton's doing the same sort of stuff, you know, but I've, and I've, I've only seen Steve's, but they've been great. And I think, you know, the, the ways of how to practice rather than just going at it and at it and just trying and trying and you know and, and, and how we break things down and how to practice properly which you guys do it you know you get taught that stuff all the time now you see but I mean we didn't you know you just keep going and we'll try and get it right next time all this sort of thing. but you know just find better solutions and the things now there's so many resources for everyone out there you know just find them I mean you, you only have to look on the internet it's everywhere isn't it? you know this sort of stuff so just learn as much as you can you know, and take the best bits and, you know, throw away the other stuff. And, and there's, there's so many opportunities now for, for players to do that, which wasn't when I when I was 20, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the mm. second question that we've got is, um, is adjudication something that you are planning on branching out to in the future? Something I've been asked to do a few times, actually. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I can see me doing that eventually, yeah. It, it's one of them, to be honest, again, I mean, I think to do that, you just need more experience of doing it. I guess it's something I need to do a bit more often. It's something I spoke to Shona about, because I know she's just started doing adjudicating, something we spoke about quite a bit. Um, but for me, it's just making sure, certainly if it's an area or something like because it's very important to bands. You know, I know how important results are, you know, that I've got this skill set to really do that. I mean, the reading scores and all that, that's fine, obviously. You know, that's 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 no problem. But I suppose in the past, I wasn't really that up on that to, to do that. But now I would be, you know. So, so, yeah, I think it might be something I would I would look at in the future. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. I'm sure mm -hmm. bands would be pleased to see you on, a, on an adjudication panel, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the final question that I've got for you is, what does being a part of a band mean to you? Well, it's just, I suppose it's part of you, isn't it? I mean, it's something we're brought up with. I mean, from... Well, from when I mean earliest memories, really. I mean, my father was always involved with bands, you know, so we're always going around playing and, and bidding concerts and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, it's everything. I mean, it's what we do. I mean, it's part of them. I mean, everyone, I think, in bands is the same, aren't they? It's, it's part of your life. It's, it always will be part of your life, you know. Um, and it means everything, you know. It's, it's, it's really what, it's our passion of what we do other than, I suppose with me, it is a bit work as well, but you know what I'm saying? But it didn't used to be, it used to do the job. But I mean, it, it is your passion in life of what you really want to do and, and how you, you know, how you express yourself, I guess, as well, which you don't always get to do in other areas of your 
of your life as well, which is nice to actually do that and do it with your friends. So it's, it's a great community brass banding, isn't it? I mean, you know, and it needs to come together a lot more. You know, I think I think the Europeans have showed us a little bit with that. And I think that's something we need to take on board a little bit over here, you know, that we need to work together a bit better because I think we're very good at not doing that sometimes. And, you know, we are a big family at the end of the day. It's a very small world, is brass band world, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. You know, I think we need to work together much better. And I think there's a lot of good stuff going on at the moment to help that. So, yeah, so it means everything to us all, I'm sure. Yeah, as it does you, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, it means, yeah. it. you know, this this year it, it has showed to me actually what it, what it does mean to me more than going to band twice a week, doing the concert every weekend, you know. Yeah. It's a big part of socialising. I mean, I mean at being at uni, I mean, I see normally, I see everyone at band more than I see my own family. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it, it, you know <laughs> yeah. it really does. It does become everything when you're a part. Well, it of becomes it. your family. I mean, like I say, YBS. We, you know, we, we used to more or less live in a coach together. You know, I mean, literally every weekend you'd be, you know, we used to all have our own seats. You know, <laughs> we're the same every week. You know, Mike Walsh used to have the same sandwiches every week. You know, <laughs> I think he still eats some of these chicken, horrible, smelly chicken things. Yeah, but I mean. But every week it was literally the same thing. You know, we used to get on the coach, and like you say, it was like a family. You know, and. and and literally we used to all be like a family on that coach going wherever it was you know every weekend you know so it is banding it's like a big family really yeah so um i just want to say thank you so much for for giving up your time and featuring on on the very first episode of the brass cast thank you so much for spending your time um, that's been a great pleasure thank you <laughs> thanks for asking um, no absolutely no problem um i just want to close off the episode here and I'd like to say to all of those that are listening out there, don't forget to follow the Brasscast on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. And don't forget to give us a like. I'd love to hear from you. Send us a message letting us know what you thought. Um, tell us what topics and who you would like us to speak to in future episodes. And we'll strive to, to bring that to you. Equally, if you have any more questions for Morgan and you want to send them in, I'm sure we've got enough to talk about to do a, a part two at some point. Um, yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, but yeah. that's all for now. So I hope that you all tune in again soon. And that's a bye from me. Bye. <laughs>